thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dave Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC continues to roll on in the Apex UFC Vegas 70 this weekend, headlined by Ryan Spann versus Nikita Krilov. We will, of course, be talking about that fight as well as some of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, on this episode, we've got two fighters on that card kicking off the show is Trevor Peak telling some crazy stories about how he got into MMA. And then later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Jose Johnson, who has one of the most insane amateur careers I've ever seen in my whole life. So we're going to be talking about those guys, giving you all the fights, giving you all that great content. But before we do, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sports books in one nice, neat little spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you're the most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether you're showing off your big scores to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Picket has you covered. New experienced and veteran bettors have all tried the Picket community, so what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app now on the Google Play Store or the App Store and get in on the fun. Pickett brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Quick editor's note here, uh, this interview with Trevor Peak was actually recorded just before his change in opponents, so we're going to be talking a little bit about him fighting Alex Reyes, who has unfortunately fallen off the card. Trevor will still be fighting Eric Gonzalez, but, you know, a little bit of this will be outdated. So, wanted to let you know that before we got to the interview. All right, and joining me today is Trevor Peak, who fights Alex Reyes at UFC Vegas 70. That fight is on February 25th. So, Trevor, I, I want to start talking about the contender series because i want to talk about your fight but i gotta talk about your contender series fight because it's one of the craziest things of all time I, I usually ask the guys who've been on contender series what they were feeling while they were sitting in that seat but you didn't even get to sit in that seat you're off to the hospital tell us a little bit about where you were when you got the notification that like yes dana white's in he wants to be in the trevor peak business yeah man uh, i actually tried to get them to let me hang out in the back until they awarded the con contracts but you know ufc's protocol and i had so many issues going on back there they they made me go ahead and get on an ambulance uh but yeah i was uh i was actually sitting in the hospital room and on the hospital bed sitting there um they had done a they'd done several different tests on me and I took a couple of x-rays and everything and i was actually waiting on the results to get released and uh and i was watching the fight i was uh, watching it on my phone but um I guess the there was a gentleman beside me. He had fought, and his coaches uh, come over there. And I guess their phone was a uh, little. The video was a little bit ahead of mine, and they was like, "Congratulations, man!" And I was like, I was sitting there watching the video, and I was like, "Oh, did I get it?" And he was like, "Oh, you don't know yet." <laughs> he was like, "My bad." And I was like, "No, it's cool, man." I got fired up, but it was it was it was neat, man. That, that's awesome to hear. Now you, you said you didn't want to be taken away. You wanted to hang out there. 
was that mostly that you you didn't think you were as beat up as you were or was it sort of you know just like you can't take this experience away from me man i've worked so hard to get there and i just wanted to experience the whole the whole thing and i hadn't got to meet dino and you know and a few of them that i wanted to meet yet so and i didn't get to get a picture with Lorsanko yet so <laughs> I wanted to stay and hang out, you know, but it, like I said, it, it all went the way it's supposed to, I reckon. Absolutely. Now, now, while Dana White was calling your name, he said that, you know, obviously you were off to the hospital. Laura Sanko said you were off to the hospital. Dana suggested that you probably had a broken jaw or something pretty significant. W- was there any big injuries after the Contender Series? You know, my, my wrist was giving me a lot of trouble and uh, my leg – and then this side of my jaw and then this upper part of my jaw up here was bothering me pretty bad. I didn't really think it was broke, but I thought something could have been like maybe dislocated a little bit or cracked. And, you know, I, I figured it would be best if I, which it wasn't really my choice. They was making me go regardless. But I, I, I felt like it was best if I needed some kind of treatment to, to go ahead and go. But they checked me out and everything checked good. And, man, I honestly, I, I didn't even end up with a concussion. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, but I didn't. <laughs> that's that's wild, man. Dude, you have got to have some of the highest level of durability out of any fighter I've ever seen because you, you, it, it's not just this fight either, right? Like, I've seen you on the regional scene. You fought guys who hit hard, like Kama Worthy, like David Robbins, like dudes like that. It, is that just kind of always been you? Have you just always had that, like, innate toughness in you? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I've always been pretty tough, man. I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, even before I got started, you know, doing cage fighting, I just, I fought so much and I was, I maybe not wasn't the best fighter that ever, that ever done it, but man, I was definitely one of the toughest around here anyways. And, uh, but yeah, I was I always had that tenacity and that, just that durability, man. I just, I hate losing. <laughs> I'd rather die as lose, I guess. <laughs> I, I love it. And it, it's definitely paying off in the cage. Now, you, you said you did a lot of fighting before you became a cage fighter, before you decided to get into mixed martial arts. Was that, you know, did you do kickboxing and boxing? Or are we talking about like, you know, backyard brawls and stuff like that? Yeah, bonfires and parking lots, <laughs> man. I was, uh, I was, I wasn't a good teenager. I, I didn't really know how to control myself. And once I got started fighting, I, I really had to, I had a tough time, you know, getting a handle on myself. It was just, I was all the time fighting. I mean, I would come in sometimes, and my mom, she couldn't even hardly tell who I was. My face like a pumpkin, just all beat up, man. I, it's, it was it was rough. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. I was rough on myself, put myself through it for sure. And, and is that sort of how you found martial arts? Did you decide, you know, like, I, I've got to find a way to channel this. i got to find a way to, to put it into one spot. Yeah, I had a good friend. Uh, you know, we used to be really close. His name was uh, Sam McAlpin, and he – uh. And him and a couple of my other buddies, they trained and stuff when we was in high school. But, you know, I didn't ever, wasn't ever really financially able to, to, to train. But they was into it real big. And, you know, he actually called me and I went and fought in an unsanctioned event, like, on a day's notice. And, but, man, we was all the time fighting. And, and, and he had a really good eye for, you know, he ended up making a big promotion and promoting fights and stuff. And he had a really good eye for, for talent and, that, and things of that nature. And he told me when we was – Gosh, man, I want to say I was probably like, I don't know, like 15 years old. And, and he told me, he was like, you know, Trevor, if you ever wanted to fight, you could you could make a lot of money doing it. And I'm like, whatever, man. You know, I didn't really didn't really think too much about it then. But then I just kept fighting, man. And and I think I, I even said this on the Contender Series, like, you know, we was 
you know, strung out on all kinds of bad drugs and everything. And I'd be having one of them conversations with like my buddies, like, man, we got to get it together. You know, we could be better than this. And I would, I would tell them then that like, I figured if I could get my, my act together, you know, and, you know, find God and all and stuff like that, that maybe I could make it to the UFC and, and then God is, he's the only reason that, you know, I really have anything and have made anything of myself, man. I, I mean that with every fiber of my being, I, I was lost, you know, and he, he, he delivered me from a lot of things and, you know, I've, I've, I've been close to him and I've, I've kind of chased after other things in life. And, and it's just every time I get away from him, man, things just go very poorly for me. Well, and that's such a powerful message and, and such an inspiring story for so many there. So thank you for sharing it. I, I, I want to ask you, though, you, you just told me you fought in an unsanctioned event on one day's notice. I got to know more about it. I got to know about what it looked like because I, I love these stories. I, I talked to Parker Porter the other day about a story exactly like that he was fighting in a strip club in, in the middle of nowhere in Boston. <laughs> T- tell me about where this unsanctioned event was that you decided to fight on one day's notice. Man, I was over at my dad's house, and uh, that same buddy, he called me, and he was like, hey, man, you want to fight? And like I said, me and him used to go around fighting all kinds of people, and I'm like, yeah, man, who are we fighting? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think if we're going to a parking lot, you know, and he's like, he said something and whatever it was he said, I was like, wait, what are you talking about, man? He was like, like in front of people, like in a cage, man, like a UFC fight. And I was like, oh, God, like you said in front of people. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I said, what do I got to do? And he said, I just need one of your parents to sign a piece of paper. And I was like, well, uh, let me go talk to my dad. And my dad, he was cool with it. And like, it was just me and that, but my buddy come pick me up and we went up to their gym that they trained out of and, rode over to the event and they, they weigh you at the event and they match you there. And, um, I ended up getting matched up with this kid and it was, it was three brothers, me and me and my buddy fought the middle brother and the youngest brother. And then the oldest brother was fighting in the main event. So, I mean, they actually trained, I mean, they come from a family of martial arts and man, that kid got started, man. And I was throwing bombs. That's all I knew how to do. And, uh, I think it was in the second round. He tried to he tried to throw up a triangle choke on me, and my buddy's coach that, that was uh, that he was working with during that time he was cornering me for it. And he said, he said, get out of it. And I remember I just like I grabbed his arm and then put my other hand under his elbow and I like stood up with him and rampage slammed him. And uh, his mouthpiece went bouncing across the mat and I like looked at the ref and I was like, can I hit him? And he's like, yeah, man, hit him. So I, dude, I just started hitting him, and uh, before the third round, you know, we was in in between rounds, and before the third round started, he quit on the stool, and and it was it was it was cool, man. I was 15 years old, um, yeah, won another one, another unsanctioned one, and then I won a sanctioned one, uh, all without ever. I never trained. I mean, that was smoking cigarettes and drinking booze and partying and just just not not living good at all by any means and uh, but i did i did pretty well with it so i always knew that, that man if i could if i got some training under me that that i could that i could maybe make something something of myself and that that's insane too because you know you look at your record on tapology or whatever website you want to use to look it up and you know you're you've got six professional wins it's got listed a bunch of amateur fights but from what you're telling me, there's probably a slew of other amateur fights that they have not ever touched on sanctioned ones, probably sanctioned ones that they missed. How many fights do you imagine you've had in a cage at some point in time? 
Oh, I've only as far as the cage goes, man. I've only I only did uh, I only did two two unsanctioned fights in the cage. So I mean, I actually went. Uh, I really went six and two as an amateur. The rules, honestly, man. The rules when unsanctioned events was was tougher than the rules when I first did it when they were sanctioned because in Alabama, like. Uh, if you fight here now and you ha- you've had two fights or less, you got to wear shin guards and you can't ground and pound and all that stuff. Where them unsanctioned events, I mean, I wasn't allowed to elbow and knee to the face, but it was, I mean, <laughs> you got in there and got after it, man. <laughs> but that's, yeah, so I really, so just two unsanctioned fights before. That's incredible. Now, you, you mentioned Alabama, and I did want to ask you about that because th- there's not a lot of professional fighters who've come out of Alabama to go to the UFC. So what, what does it mean for you to sort of be the one, you know, bringing Alabama to the UFC? Man, that's part of the, part of the dream. You know, it's just, it's, it's always been part of the dream since I started this. I wanted to be the, I wanted to be the guy in Alabama, man. There was, you know, several people that had a pretty big name and I really wanted to fight them and, you know, things like that. And it just didn't work out with the timing, I guess, but, that's that was always a big part of the dream, man. Was just wanting to put Alabama on the map, and you know, me and me and one my good my main training partner, Torres Finney, was talking about it the other day, and he was like, everybody talks about the Russians, and you know, they got like Las Vegas, West Coast, and all this stuff. He's like, what about us Southern boys? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah, man, we go, we we'll put it on the map, and that dude right there that I'm talking about, Torres Finney, I have, I have no doubt in my mind he'll he'll be in the UFC before the end of the year, and I think he has the potential to be a world champion too, man. He is. Uh, I watch him hold guys that was ranked in the top ten in Las Vegas, just hold them down and, and watch me spar while he's holding them down. It, it was unreal. <laughs> yeah, he, he's an incredible talent. And for those of you who don't know, 4-0 prospect, out of icon fights. He's fighting high-level dudes already. Really impressive dude. So now you mentioned you're going to be the first one, though, to put Alabama on the map, to put the Southern boys on the map. You're going to do it on February 25th. So let's talk a little bit about that fight. You're fighting Alex Reyes. It's a very weird situation because it's very rare that the guy coming off of the contender series coming to the UFC for the first time is the one there's more film on because we've got Alex Reyes here. He hasn't fought in five years because of, you know, all kinds of other things. What is it like preparing for a guy where, you know, you haven't seen him in half a decade? Nobody has. You know, it's kind of, I was talking to a gentleman about that earlier today. Um, I'll just have to take what film I got, man, and you know, I take the things that he done that he does the best. Then, you know, like he, he's got a he's got several techniques that he was so good at that I don't I don't feel like he'll I feel like they're engraved in him, man. I don't feel like he'll ever just abandon them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan for you know some of them tactics, but as far as just coming up with a 100% game plan on what I think, what exactly I think he's going to do, you know, I can't really just put all my eggs in one basket. I got to be versatile and, you know, open-minded in some areas, but I've got a pretty good idea, you know, how I, how I think he's going to come out and what I think he's going to do just because like, man, you, you take that much time away from the cage. Um, you're going to have some instincts take over, you know, regardless, regardless of what you've been, working on these last five years, I feel like the things that he's worked for him in the past are going to be super hard to abandon, especially with like ring rust and things of that nature. He's just going, you know, it'll be instinctive almost to him to do what he used to do. So I'm going to, I'll be ready for him, man. 
regardless of what he does. If he comes out a totally different fighter, I'll, I'll be ready for him. Well, and having that flexible game plan has always worked for you. We saw it work for you on the contender series. We've seen it work for you on the regional scene. So give us a prediction. How's this one end come February 25th? Man, I'm I'm needing that knockout bonus. <laughs> so I think I, I think I get the finish. Um he's tough and he, he he's got he's got, you know, he's got really good really good wrestling. He's he's well rounded and stuff. He he might he might take it into the second round, but man, honestly, I think I, I think I get it done before the end of the first, but it it might be middle middle of the second before I get him out of there. But I just I, I think I man, I, I've got I've got a crazy amount of power, and it just when I touch people, it's it's different. So I, I think if I think if I I know if I go in there and do what I'm supposed to do, that I, I can get the finish and get him out of there and keep this 100% finish rate going. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Trevor Peek, who fights Alex Reyes at UFC Vegas 70. That fight once again is on February 25th. Trevor, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Trevor Peak. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, we got to talk about the jiu-jitsu clinic that went on this past Saturday. Erin Blanchfield not only beats Jessica Andrash to put herself firmly in this title picture, but she does so with dominance, a second-round submission victory, rear naked choke. I got to ask you, so many people are talking about her getting that next title shot after Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso, which is coming right up around the corner. What do you give Aaron Blanchfield in terms of a shot against Shevchenko, of course, given that Shevchenko gets through Alexa Grasso? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, of course, have been on Aaron Blanchfield for a long time. Actually, remind me, Gummy, was she on our list last year of potentially unranked a title shot? Yes, Did she was. I, I, I believe we had her at number four, most likely to go from unranked to title shot in the 2022 calendar year. So we're about like, I mean, at the end of the day, we might wind up like five or six months late on that one, but that one's a good call. Yeah, I mean, so sorry, fans. We were five months late on knowing that she was going to be a big prospect. And this is why you tune into a nerd show like us. We've been on her since day one. Couldn't be more impressed. Now, to answer your question... And obviously, as people can hear, I have no voice, but I don't care because I love talking about Erin Blanchfield. Uh, she is going to have a striking differential to Shevchenko. Shevchenko is notoriously hard to put away. She has shown an aptitude for submission game, even though primarily she is a great striker. But Blanchfield is not your average grappler. She could make life hell on the ground for Shevchenko. I don't mind the idea of Blanchfield having one more fight in between, continuing to work on her striking. It's a tall order to go and face Shevchenko, and I don't know that I love the matchup for Blanchfield while still feeling like Blanchfield is a future champion. What says you? I kind of feel like, you know, like the the timing is aligning right now. So I, I don't really want her to wait, right, like, uh, Grasso and Shevchenko were fighting right around the corner. So, like, clearly the, the time is lined up. So, like, if Shevchenko just rolls through Grasso here and she's as healthy as Blanchfield is, I mean, just run them in June. Because here's the other thing about this. People are saying maybe we're rushing her to a title shot. Maybe she's not ready. She's only 23 years old, you know, almost 24 years old. I don't care. Because, you know what, if she loses, 
it's not like she's going away. It's not like this is going to break her for the rest of her life. If she loses to one of the most dominant champions that has ever existed in the UFC, well, cool. I'll see you in a year for your second shot because she's going to dominate. She just dominated Jessica Andrade, perhaps one of the more deadly heavy strikers in that flyweight division, although sometimes a strawweight division. But, like, she stood and banged with her, too, and did fine. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's dangerous to run her into a title shot because she's she's going to be around. You might as well keep her around. Yeah, I'm with that. I can't argue with it. But I'll tell you what maybe people can argue with, and it's some of our picks. For UFC Vegas 70, we're breaking out our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let's see if you agree or disagree with us as we give you a couple of fights, uh, fighters that we think will win a dog, and a parlay to play. But Gumby, before we get into it, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's about time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the largest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs any time, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments. Sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Once again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for bettors looking to get that cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light. Make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right. Well, let's start with a fun main event. Uh, Nikita Krylov, a minus 170. Ryan Spann, a plus 145. Krilov coming off a two-fight win streak, big wins over Alexander Gustafsson, Vulcan Ozdemir, former title challenger, and Ozdemir, former champion, and Gustafsson, he had lost to Paul Craig and Magomed Ankilov before that. So two and two in his last four is Krylov. Kind of the story of his career, right? Wins one, loses one, wins two, loses two. Ryan Spann also on a two-fight win streak, coming off a big KO over Dominic Reyes, uh, guillotine choke win over Ian Kutaleba. He had lost to Anthony Smith before that. Two and one in his last three. Worth mentioning that Brian Spann debuted in the UFC and reeled off a five-fight win streak before running into his first loss in Johnny Walker. So he's trying to get back on the winning path here. Three in a row for either fighter would be big. Who you got? I'm going to go with Ryan Spann as the, the fairly large underdog here. And the reason is because, first of all, I think his size is going to give Nikita Krylov some issues, right? Nikita Krylov is used to being a longer heavyweight than most, right? He's got a 77-inch reach, which is roughly six foot five if you're measuring that out. Uh, and he's only 6'3", so he's got, like, you know, longer arms than his height, and that's always a good thing. But he's fighting a guy who's 6'5", with a 6'7", reach, which is, you know, a, a really tough thing to deal with at light heavyweight you don't see too many times. Span's also got crazy power from striking distance. Now, granted, Krilov did look better in his last fight against Volkan Ozdemir, but I think the power of Ryan Span plays up. And then the other thing I will say is that if Nikita Krilov goes to work on his jiu-jitsu, he, he tries to turn this into a wrestling match, I think there's danger there for him. Because while Krilov is a dangerous submission specialist, and he does really good offensively with submissions, sometimes he forgets to defend them in the way that he ought to. Um... You know, we saw it with Paul Craig. He got submitted there. Uh, he got submitted with a guillotine when he shot in on Misha Serkinov. He got submitted by Jan Blakovich with an arm triangle. You know, he got Von Flu choked when he didn't let go of OSP. Like, this is a guy who gets submissions but also gets submitted. 
And Ryan Spann, low-key, has a, a phenomenal guillotine choke. Like, when he gets that guillotine choke in, it is all done. So I think he's going to be prepared for whatever shots Krilov has, and I think he's going to get him out of there. Yeah, I think you're bringing up some pretty good points on that. I like where your head's at with that. I also just find Krylov to not be dependable. Um, you know, it's in the fights where I think he's going to win that he loses and the fights where I think he's going to lose that he wins. So if I was going to take a dog um, or take Span as a dog, I like him as a dog off over Krylov more so than I would someone, you know, more established and um, – dependable i guess all right yeah uh, i agree with, i agree with that entirely i i think nikita krilov t- tends to be one of the least reliable light heavyweights and that's a division filled with dudes who aren't reliable <laughs> andre muniz is a two to one favorite he's a minus 205 for brandon allen a plus 175 dog so allen betting off at almost a two to one dog but uh still a very competitive matchup in my opinion brandon allen's on a three fight win streak uh, coming off a rear naked choke victory over Christoph Chaco back in October. Andre Muniz, though, all this man does is win, win, win. He's never lost in the UFC. If you count Dana White's contender series, which he fought on twice, this man is 7-0 and in the UFC and coming off a unanimous decision win over Uriah Hall. Who you got? I'm, of course, going with Andre Muniz. I, I, look, I, I you're not going to find somebody who's as sold as Andre Muniz as I am, because I, I really do think this guy's a bad matchup for a lot of the top middleweights on the planet, because it's such a striking, heavy top to this division. And we've been saying time and time again, a good grappler could come into this division and really mess some things up. And Muniz might be that good grappler. Like, we, we saw him submit Jacare. And, and, dude, that alone should tell you something, that this guy can submit, you know, maybe one of the best jiu-jitsu guys this division's ever seen, and he's doing it to everybody. He did it to Bartosz Fabinski, he did it to Eric Anders, I mean, like, he manhandled Uriah Hall on the mats, like, it just seems like this is the right kind of matchup for him, too, because the thing is, is Brendan Allen wants to grapple, um, you know, he, he's, sure, has he won some fights via his striking? Definitely, but most of the time, this dude wants to put it on the ground. He wants to try to submit you. So, like, you're you're walking into a realm where Andre Muniz is probably already the best guy in the division at that thing, and you're going to try to beat him at his own game, or you're going to do your less preferred activity, which is try to strike with Andre Muniz. And, uh, yeah, I, I just give the, the edge on the mats to Muniz here. All right. She's back. Tatiana Suarez is back after a three, no, actually really almost a four-year layoff. We haven't seen her since June of 2019. She is back, and she's a minus 800 favorite over Montana De La Rosa. If you're unfamiliar with Suarez, go seek out the highlights. She is 5-0 and in the UFC. The win in June of 2019 was over Nina Nunes. She has a win over Carla frickin' Esparza already. TKO finish over a former champion and someone who is pretty notorious to put away. I always think it's important when we're breaking down these matchups to give you what the fighters, what their records are coming into this fight. I'm not going to give you Montana De La Rosa's record. It does not matter. You could give Montana De La Rosa a bazooka it does not matter. Now, of course, we haven't seen Suarez in four years. For all we know, you know, 
I don't know. Maybe she's a different person. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe there's ring rust. It does not matter. She is, it, this is the way scouts talk about how they first saw Mickey Mantle, the way they first saw Ken Griffey Jr. That is when you first see Tatiana Suarez. She is going to be a beast if she stays healthy, and I will put my money down on future champion. I'm picking Tatiana Suarez. Who you got, Cubby? <laughs> I'm, of course, taking Tatiana Suarez, too. Uh, and, and, you know, like, like you said, I, I think it's crazy that she's a minus 800 favorite coming back from four years, and, and everybody will talk about, you know, possibility of ring rust and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, they gave her the right kind of matchup here in Montana De La Rosa. Montana De La Rosa is somebody who is just, like, physically controlled by Macy Barber, um, and, and Macy Barber couldn't out-wrestle Roxanne Modafari. So, like... She can out-wrestle Montana De La Rosa. De La Rosa is kind of the fighter who, if she can get her own wrestling going, she's fine. But apart from that, she can't beat most of the people in the UFC. You know, she's 2-4 and four in her last six. So Tatiana Suarez is kind of getting the right matchup here. There's no way she gets out-wrestled. So even if she can't get her own wrestling going because she's, you know, rusty or something like that, I think she has a striking advantage. Um, also, you know, you mentioned for, for those fans out there who might be newer than than four years right like they they might not have even been part of the Tatiana Suarez era yes she beat Carla Esparza a former champion she beat Nina Nunes roll it back one more before that she submitted Alexa Grasso in less than three minutes Alexa Grasso now fighting Valentina Shevchenko for the title later on like that's incredible like she has wins over some of the best women in the sport and she did so by finishing them all yeah, Tatiana Suarez all the way here. Also, I'm looking for props on uh, her finishing this fight because I think she's going to get Montana De La Rosa out of there. Um, I'll also just bring up one other fact, as we've long called, or at least I have uh, called Tatiana Suarez, the female Khabib, and uh, there's a similarity here. Uh, Khabib ragdolled Rafael Dos Anjos back in April of 2014, was injured, and then had the longest layoff of his career. It was only two years. He came back two years later. Now, Suarez is coming back four years later. But uh, he ended up fighting Daryl Horcher. And you probably don't know who Daryl Horcher is, and most people don't. But it was a squash match, as we say in pro wrestling. I think, And I think that there might have been an injury there or something. It doesn't matter. The point being, the UFC knows what it's doing from a matchmaking standpoint. She's coming back here. She's going to look strong. And it's a way to get ring rust off. It was not a super competitive matchup. All right, let's go then to our dog of the week. It's uh, Jose Johnson, a plus 130 over Garrett Armfield. Let's hear it. Yeah, I, I like Jose Johnson in this fight for a lot of reasons. The the biggest one being that I, I really think he's got a huge wrestling advantage. I, I've always kind of thought Jose Johnson on the feet was UFC-level talent, and I, I kind of doubted whether or not he would ever be able to make it to the UFC because he – he seemingly had like a little bit of a deficiency when it came to wrestling. You know, Mo Miller took him down on the regional circuit and he, he wound up getting the win there with a submission. But, he, you know, he had to work off of his back. Then he comes out in a contender series and not only does he fix that, but he reverses it and makes it a strength. He came out and out wrestled Jack Cartwright, a guy who I thought was a hot prospect. And he did so emphatically. So I'm loving the change in Jose Johnson's game. I think it plays really well against Garrett Armfield, the guy who wrestles a little bit in his own right. I think Johnson's going to beat him at his own game. And if, 
it stalls out in the wrestling department. Man, dude, I, I think Jose Johnson's got a massive advantage on the feet. So, yeah, give me the dog money on Jose Johnson. Our parlay to play. Hallie Cowan, a minus 130. Andre Muniz, a minus 205. Pair them together, get you plus 163 odds, break it down. Yeah, so while we already talked about how I like Andre Muniz here against Brendan Allen, I think the grappling advantage is just massive. So we're going to ride that as part of a parlay with Haley Cowan. She's fighting Aline Perez, who I really thought looked terrible in her debut. So this is as much of a play of Haley Cowan as it is a phase of Aileen Perez. Because, you know, Perez looked like she absolutely couldn't stop any kind of takedowns, couldn't stop any kind of physicality, and looked sort of out of her realm on the feet. Haley Cowan is a very physically strong woman. We saw her on the Contender Series. We've seen her all over the regional circuit. She's dominant in terms of how she works in a clinch. And once she's on top of you, and granted, maybe her takedown game isn't the best, but once she's on top of you, her positioning is very strong. So I think Cowan is just going to dominate the positions with Aileen Perez. I think she'll have no issues with that. And then, uh, you know, ditto for Muniz. I'm kind of just taking the the grapple-heavy approach here for plus 163. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this Fights, Dogs, and Parlays edition. Uh, let us know what we got right. Let us know if you think we got anything wrong at Top Turtle MMA on the social media. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's keep it going. What should we do next? Well, we're going to transition to my interview now with the aforementioned underdog, Jose Johnson, who is getting ready to make his UFC debut this weekend. We talk about that fight as well as one of the craziest amateur records I've ever seen in my whole life. And, of course, we're going to get to all that great content in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Jose Johnson. All right, and joining me today is Jose Johnson, who fights Garrett Armfield at UFC Vegas 70. That fight is on February 25th. So, Jose, I wanted to start here. You, you actually were on the Contender Series once. You lost. You were on the Looking for a Fight Series. You lost there. You were on Looking for a Fight again, and you won but didn't get a contract. How mm-hmm. crazy of a run was that for you to try to keep that, that positive energy and moving forward? Oh, man. <laughs> Where do I even begin as far as that? Um, it was my it was my family, man. It was my kids. My kids that kept me going. I wanted, I wanted them to have a life I never, I never had. So <clears throat> it was time to buckle down and get my get my shit together pretty much in a sense and and just grind and, and when you say get your shit get your shit together that that can obviously mean a lot of things did you feel like you know you kicked that training up a notch you you did something to to spice things up was was there something that you did or just you know like renewed mental focus uh renewed mental focus for sure it was I, i've always had the tools to make it i've always had the talent to make it um, uh, ju- you know, clearly judging from the the countless opportunities I've been given, but it was more so mentally. I had to know that I had to channel that, and I had to go back to my roots. I had to remember where I came from. Uh, remember what I, you know, how hard I worked over the last ten years to get to this point. All the fights I've taken, you know, that people did, don't take, 
you know, everybody takes these easy fights or these semi-easy fights. I've, I've never once in my career, even as an amateur, have taken easy fights. Absolutely. I, I, I actually wanted to ask you about that because I was going through your tapology record, man. In, in your, your amateur career is one of the most insane things. I think I counted 21 fights in 2015 alone, in that year alone. Like, how, how did you rack up fights like that, man? Were you fighting every weekend? It was more than that, actually. <laughs> uh, they just That's just the only ones that, that, that were sanctioned. That was when, like, Michigan went through the whole sanctioning board and actually got sanctioned, and those fights got, you know, got started to get put down. But I actually went 68 and, and 12 as an amateur, um, and I fought more than, than that and then 20-something times in a year. I just I – just, it was something that was keeping me off the streets. It was keeping me out of trouble. Uh, it was keeping me mentally focused, so it was something that I enjoyed to do. I was never in it for the money. It was more so that it's like martial arts is something that actually really saved my life. Well, that that's a beautiful message. Now, you, you said, you know, originally not for the money, but now that you're in this different stage in your life, you've got a family, you want to support them. It, it now becomes wanting to give them a better life and it, that change. So tell me a little bit about what it felt like the moment where you heard Dana White say, you know, Jose Johnson, I want you in the UFC. Uh, oh, man, it was a dream come true. It was, uh, it was, I still remember sitting in my, my hotel room um, at around like five, it was, well, it was like four, like four thirty in the morning. I was still up. I was processing it. It was crazy, man. And I, and it, and it hit me um, that like hard work does pay off, and don't give up um, on your dreams. And it was, it was just amazing. It was, it was a great feeling, a dream come true. But now it's, now I had to again refocus. Um, so I actually left home from Texas and went to Washington state where I used to live with a lot of really good people there and, uh, got away from like all the, the celebrity status, I guess, things that you can, that you go, that you can go through once you, you, you make it to something that's, that's really big and, and you're, you're, you're the town that you live and have lived for a long time. And I got away from all the people trying to take pictures and sign autographs and, and all that, all the women, I got away from all that. And I just went, went to Washington and just, and just focused for about five months. And then I just got back to Texas like two days ago and feel so refreshed and, and just ready. Well, that's great to hear. And I want to talk about how you're ready for this fight first, but, but one more question about the contender series, because, you know, as long as I followed you and I've seen you, you know, in your, your, you know, regional circuit and whatnot, you know, you've been a guy who, who's rangy. You've been a guy who, who clearly has got some, some stand-up skills and some Muay Thai skills. And when you were on the Contender Series, you, you kind of lost to the wrestling of, of Ronnie Lawrence. You know, then again, you, you had some trouble with, with Mo Miller's wrestling until you submitted him. But then you get your second chance or your third chance or whatever you want to call it against Jack Cartwright, a guy known for how good he can grapple. And you put on a wrestling clinic. Was it... Did yeah. you had you changed something in your your training before that, or have you had you renewed the way that you wrestled? Like, wh what brought the wrestler out of Jose Johnson for that fight? Uh, it was more so like uh, focused deeply on my on my jujitsu, 
instead of just wrestling because yeah you can be a solid wrestler but I've I've even seen solid wrestlers get wrestled you know um it's more so it's more so you using those jujitsu angles um mixed with the wrestling it's really just mix, mixing everything up you know you can't just be one dimensional you can't just be you know in one way and that's what that's what happened with Mo Miller I I uh, very He's very. He was very one-dimensional for that fight. I'm not gonna say he's one-dimensional because he's not. Because I've seen him fight after our fight and then the before then, where he actually displayed some some really good striking for a wrestler. Um, but in our fight, I, you know, the range, the the size. A lot of people typically don't just want to stand right in front of me and um, just take a beating, so they go straight to the wrestling. And uh, it was something that we was aware of that was gonna happen. It wasn't. I wasn't trying to force stopping the takedowns, um, I wanted to display the jiu-jitsu that I had been working on uh, against Mo Miller. So that's what I did, and I got the triangle, set up the same one we had went over in the back room before the fight like 100 times. And then and then with Jack, he was just so – he was just so overzealous when he – when he it was like not overzealous. That's sorry, wrong word. He was so not used to losing in position. Because, you know, coming in 10-0 and 0 in a fight, like, you feel like you can – Michael Bisping says it all the time. You feel like you can just beat up the whole world. You feel like you can just flush a dude instantly. You know what I'm saying? And then when he was throwing his punches, I was clearly taking his punches and then trading strikes with him. He was like, oh, well, let's go to the ground because this is how I've seen people beat him and work that jujitsu. And literally, he had six takedowns. I had six reverses. Uh, which means I reversed every position. Every time he he, take, he took me down, ended up in a dominant position, just ran down elbows. You know, it was just focusing on that jujitsu, uh, not so much trying to force um, uh, force a wrestling match in an MMA fight, putting everything together. I love it. I love it. Now you're you're up against another guy in this upcoming fight. Who himself enjoys to wrestle, enjoys the jujitsu game, and Garrett Armfield. When they gave you that name, had you been familiar with him already? And if so, you know, like what sort of was your initial thoughts about him? I've not heard of him before. I've watched a couple of his fights. I watched I watched a fight, um, his fight with uh, David Onama, before he was even ever thought of being given to me because they they tried to give me David Onama on like a week's notice when I'm a 35er and I was like, I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I really don't have to take that. <laughs> um, really don't have to take that until I finally do decide I want to move up to 45 and, and put some muscle on. And then I'll be happy to take that fight. Um, and he, <clears throat> and I, I watched that fight and I just remember thinking like, Oh man, like, he struggles with a lot of linear attacks, a lot of straight straight attacks, and um, wrestling wasn't wasn't all that to me. Like I had having as many fights as I've had, you've seen you've seen almost everything. You know, it's it's not a whole lot that someone can do that I haven't seen, or not a whole lot of positions that I've been in that I, I haven't been put in before. So I'm just prepared in that on that end. Uh, it's a tough fight. Respect to him. He made it here. You know, he made it there just like me. And I'm looking forward to be a good fight. I'm excited. 
We're excited too. And now usually before I let fighters go here, I try to get a prediction out of them. So, so how do you see this fight ending on February 25th? I just see, honestly, I just see a masterpiece. I just see a masterpiece. That's it. I'm not going to tell too much. I'm just going to let you guys see it. And I just, just be prepared. Just stay tuned because it's, it's going to be a clinic. That's for sure. Well, we absolutely can't wait. And once again, fans, this has been Jose Johnson who fights Garrett Armfield at UFC Vegas 70. That fight once again, February 25th. Jose, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. Have a good one. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Picket, and MyBookie. And reminder, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Dana Gubby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.